The temple of Artemis, which was in ancient Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In fact, it was considered by some, particularly this guy named Antipater of Sidon, to be the best of all the seven wonders of the world, the most glorious. He had written and described that he visited these other wonders of the ancient world, and then he said this. He said, but when I saw the house of Artemis that mounted to the clouds, those other marvels lost their brilliancy. And I said, lo, apart from Olympus, the sun never looked on anything so grand. It's not hard to imagine families taking a trip in the ancient world to go see the temple of Artemis at Ephesus. And no doubt they had their Genie Plus app downloaded on their phones so that they could, you know, avoid the lines. And they would go and they would visit and they would see the grandeur of this ancient marvel. And they would be blown away. They would be captivated by it. They would pay out of their noses for beverages and for snacks while they were there, right? They would even take home little souvenirs, little miniature statues of Artemis that they could worship at home and set up, and it would remind them of the glory of this temple. But isn't that interesting, the language that Antipater uses there where he says, it reached up to the clouds, and when I thought of that, when I saw that, all the other wonder of the other ancient wonders, he said, they just paled in comparison. I'd never seen anything so grand. You see, everyone's looking for glory. Nothing's changed. I mean, the the ancient temple of Artemis was rebuilt like three or four times because of destruction, war, earthquakes, and all of that. They kept rebuilding it because everybody's looking for glory. We want to be captivated, don't we? We want to be in awe. Maybe that's why we get so excited for March Madness. And a 15 seed from Jersey City, going deep. Praise the Lord, right? I heard that guy talking. Oh, man, that's great. Jersey accents on on TV. We love that. So good. Maybe that's why we get excited for roller coasters. That adrenaline rush. That's why some of you avoid them. Maybe that's why we we love the, the TV show, getting to the conclusion, the finale, and kind of being like blown away, like, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. It was such an experience. Or maybe that is why we take pilgrimages to Orlando or <laughs> Las Vegas or wherever. We, we want to be blown away. We want to be blown away. But like the ancient wonders, there's always a, a better one. Which means that none of these things that we pursue in order to be in awe, consciously or not, right? None of those things can actually provide lasting satisfaction for our hearts. It is truly a temporary adrenaline rush. Until they remodel that temple. Until the next one gets built. Until there's a bigger one and a better one. There's always another movie. There's always another roller coaster to be built. There's always something else to chase after. And and frankly, in the day-in, day-out struggle of our lives, especially when we face opposition in walking as believers in Jesus, we will look to be captivated. It's just many days we'll look to be captivated somewhere other than the Lord. It's not that chasing wonder is a bad thing. That's a good thing. Chasing glory is a good thing. It's just there's only one place you can actually find it. 
See, we need wonder. And God knows that we need wonder. He made us to need wonder. He made us to seek captivation, to seek glory. But he also made us in such a way that we can only be fully satisfied where? In him. So he gave the church in the first century Revelation chapter 4. In fact, he gave the church for all time Revelation chapter 4, which is quite literally a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. John is given this glimpse to pass it along to the churches that he's already written to, the, the, the seven churches from the seven letters, which we know applies to all the churches. And so he's, he's given this glimpse of heaven, and he says, here's the deal. Uh, whatever you're going through, and I think this directly applies to us today, whatever situation you are facing right now, this morning, you need to know that the throne room of God has bearing on your life. That it is relevant, what is true in heaven right now. So as we unpack these verses, we just come to these verses knowing that we were made for wonder. We need wonder. But there's only one place we can really truly be satisfied in our quest for captivation. So let's look here in verse 1 of chapter 4. John writes, after this, that's after Jesus has given him the seven letters to the seven churches, still part of this vision that started in chapter 1. After this, I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Pause there in verse 1. The voice is the voice of Jesus himself. It's Jesus speaking from, from chapter 1. Same voice here. Jesus says to John, remember John's on the island of Patmos. He's in exile, right? It's a Sunday, so he's been uh, setting aside time for special worship of the Lord. And there he's given the vision of Jesus. He's given the seven letters. And now Jesus says, hey, John, come up here. I need to show you something. And the up is important because it means that John, as, as a prophet and apostle, he's actually being taken in this, in this spiritual journey and given the spiritual vision of something that is true in heaven that he can't see on a daily basis down on Patmos. And you and I can't see it on a daily basis. We can't just look and see straight into the throne room of God. But just for a moment, Jesus says, John, I just need you to see what's going on up here, and you need to tell everybody that this is what's going on. So he says, come up here. The up is important. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. The majority of what we're going to see in the vision, the rest of Revelation, the majority of it has yet to happen. It's a, it's a forward-looking. Some of it is always happening, like what we read in chapter 4. It's, it's, this is always going on. Uh, some of it, it refers to the past, and that's made clear when we get to those sections, and so we'll, we'll talk about that. But the vast majority of what we're going to read has yet to come. So he says, John, you need to know this is what's going on in heaven, and there are some things you need to know that are coming, the things that are going to happen. But here, the first step is to actually be summoned into the throne room of heaven. Verse 2, immediately he says, I was in the Spirit. And the CSB has a capital S there. I'm 50-50 on the capital, so could be little s. I, I might, maybe I'm 60-40, I might lean toward little s. But it, his point is, he was spiritually taken and given this vision. So that's the idea. Was the Holy Spirit involved? Absolutely. So don't scratch out the biggest, you know, just, just know. Like, it, it could be a smallest there. But one way or another, it's a spiritual moment. The Spirit of God is certainly in it, right? Immediately I was in the Spirit. And there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. Okay, maybe you caught it as we read the text a minute earlier. But 
the word throne is just reverberating throughout these 11 verses. When John is summoned into heaven, into the presence of God, what does he see? He sees a throne, and he sees the one seated on it. The throne implies everything that it does today. It implies authority. It implies kingship and the right to rule, right? And so here, John is just given a glimpse into the command and control center for the universe, And what does he see? He sees a throne, not an abdicated throne, not an empty throne. He does not come into heaven and see chaos and a bunch of angels running around going, what are we supposed to do? Did you see what happened down there? We don't know. And and a bunch of flailing around and scurrying about. He comes into the throne room of God and he sees the throne and he sees the one seated on it. He can't even describe the glory of God in language. Watch verse 3. He tries, right? It's a spirit-inspired close guess, right? That's what we have here. Verse 3. The one seated there, the one seated on the throne, had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone. That's red and green. uh, Or red and blue. And a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. So we have red, blue, and green, three colors mentioned. If you go back and you read the prophet Ezekiel, he had a vision of the throne room of God. Similar terms are used here. He's like, I don't have really the words to describe. There were beautiful colors. There was a visible manifestation of the greatness of God. Notice he doesn't actually describe the one seated on the throne. He describes what's around the one seated on the throne because he can't articulate the glory of God. It's just hard to put into words. So he uses terms for the most precious jewels of the day, right? And the the colors associated with them. Even the, the idea of the rainbow, there's like this, you know, this, uh, this glow about the throne. And so he's just, he's just saying, whoever's seated on the throne is glorious. And that's what I saw. It's so interesting that for John, he, he says, I, I know I can't really describe it, but I just need to try to tell you how beautiful God is. It was beautiful. Verse 4. Around the throne... There were 24 thrones, okay? And on the thrones sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Who are these guys? There are no less than 12 options given, okay? I'm going to give you the two that I think are are the closest, perhaps. But we need to talk about it. So he gets to the throne room, right? He's there in the Spirit. He sees the throne of God. He's blown away at this manifestation of the glory of God. And then as things kind of come into the focus or come into focus, he sees, oh, wait a minute. It's not just one throne. There are more thrones around the throne. And these elders are either angels. Remember, angels in the Bible are sometimes called rulers. They have certain jurisdictions on earth is the idea. And so perhaps these are angels, which would be expected to be surrounding the Lord, doing the Lord's will, right? Angels with crowns symbolizing that they rule and reign uh, on behalf of God, and they actually execute his will. And so that's, that's one possibility. A second possibility is because there are 24, it may be that these are 24 uh, individuals who represent the Old and New Testament with 12 representatives from the tribes and 12 apostles, and that they maybe represent the saints, believers from all time, both Old and New Testament. So that's also a possibility. Although, I I just would say this to you, before you get too deep into who these 24 are, I think the point of the vision is not so much that we can accurately say with absolute confidence, this is who these guys are. 
The point of the vision is what they're doing. These 24 thrones are around the throne of God, focused on the throne of God. It wasn't just something that he saw either that impressed John. He also heard, watch verse 5, so flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord thunders. It's a, it's a biblical image when you hear thunder and how thunder rattles your soul. Once when we lived in Texas, there was thunder so loud, it knocked me out of my bed. This is a true story in Dallas, Texas. And I thought, this is it. Jesus, take us home. Like, this is, let's go, you know? And, uh, and the fact is that that soul rumbling, right, that soul shaking thunder in the, in the Bible, uh, the biblical authors, again, under the inspiration of the Spirit said, that's the voice of God. That's how his voice works. And when you hear thunder, don't be afraid. Be in awe of the one who made it. And so John's there, and he's seeing these colors, and then he's seeing flashes of light, and then he's hearing the thunder, and his soul is shaking right there as he experiences the glory of God enthroned in the throne room of heaven. At the end of verse 5, seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. We, again, with this one, we have basically two guesses as to what this refers to. Either it refers to the, the Holy Spirit, or possibly it's another word for angels. In some places in, in the Bible, and I, we talked about this in chapter 1, that it could be angels or the Spirit of God, because sometimes in the Bible, spirits are, or angels are referred to as spirits. So, it's again, we don't necessarily know for sure, but don't miss the point. There they are, burning in the presence of the Lord— basically oriented towards the throne. So we may not understand all the angelic hierarchy, but we know one thing. Everything that's going on there is focused on the glory of God as he is seated on his throne. Verse 6, something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. This is all similar to what Ezekiel saw in his vision back in the Old Testament in chapter 1. But here's the reality. He sees the shining glory. He sees these 24 thrones and these ones enthroned there, but he sees them oriented towards the one on the throne. He sees the seven uh, burning torches representing the seven spirits of God, again, oriented towards the throne. He sees lightning. He hears the thunder, right? So he's impressed both with what he can see and what he can hear, right, in this vision, and he's blown away. And then he sees this something like a sea of glass or something from the throne. He can't even explain it. All this perhaps meant to just magnify the glory of God, but one One thing is abundantly clear when John gets there. God's throne is the center of everything. Jesus says to John, John, you need to know this. You need to see it. You need to hear it. I know you're in exile on Patmos, but God's on his throne. The command and control center, everything's just fine. Seven churches. Maybe there's some persecution in Ephesus there in the shadow of the temple of Artemis. Maybe there's some poverty at Sardis. Maybe there's uh, some some trouble with some imprisonment. And uh, here and there, an execution of a Christian because they wouldn't bow to the emperor. They wouldn't bow to the gods and goddesses of the land and... Jesus says, John, these, these beloved sheep of mine need to know that my throne is the center of everything. And God says, we need to know. 
This morning, you need to know that God is enthroned in the heavens, that he is glorious, that words can barely capture the description of the effect of his glory, and that the angelic hierarchy is oriented, centered on his throne, and that he is right now reigning over this universe. You see, the way the vision in Revelation functions, the whole thing as well as this particular chapter, is it's a different perspective on what is going on. You just need, it's kind of like you just need a different angle. You just need to know there's more to the story. I don't know if you've ever uh, had the opportunity of taking a trip on a plane, especially when a plane might fly over your home. So it's really interesting. If you fly into Newark from certain places, the, uh, the landing uh, uh, track goes right over Green Pond. And so it's right, right over this neighborhood. And so, you know, it's like you're flying over. Now listen, the first time I ever realized that, I had a hard time, you know, recognizing where it even was, Right? Because even though I'm here all the time, I've never seen it from that angle, right? That's what this vision is doing. This vision says, okay, you're in the middle of whatever you're in the middle of. But here's the reality. There is a different angle on what you're facing. And the center of this universe, it's not Green Pond. It's not New Jersey. It's not the United States. It's not Russia. It's not Ukraine. It's not Geneva or Paris. The, the center of everything is the throne of God. And so what the vision does is it helps us to get a different angle and perspective on what is going on right now. The reason why Jesus invites John up into the throne room is because there's a relevance to your practical life, John, that you need to know this is what's going on right now. And what's the first thing and maybe the central thing is that God's throne is the center of it all. And he is seated on it. He has not abandoned his responsibility. He has not abandoned the universe. There's an attempt here to describe in language what is beautiful, like the splendor of God, the majesty of God. He wants us to be in awe of God because he was in awe. Again, both visually and, and with the, what he heard. I mean, he says, just be blown away that there was God enthroned. He's like, I don't even know who these guys were on the thrones, but there they were. And they were all oriented towards the throne. And the, the seven torches are there. And I, he goes, I don't know, but it's just, it was glorious because he is glorious. Boy, it's not hard to imagine kind of responding to the drabness of living in exile. You know, kind of like being stuck without resource and going, you know, day in, day out, life gets kind of lame. Or the, the drabness of a long winter in New Jersey. Can I get an amen, right? Where it's like, there's not much, you know, we're chasing glory. We're just not finding it, right? It's not around. And Jesus says, you need to see the throne. God is never not on his throne, okay? He is never not in control. He is never scrambling. He is never negotiating. His command and control center for the universe is doing just fine. And maybe you need that reminder this morning. I wonder, are you captivated by him? Because here's the problem. We know everybody's seeking glory. We just chase it in the wrong places. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a vacation. There's nothing wrong with enjoying God's good gifts that he's given us. But when we put on, on uh, an expectation on those pursuits that they will satisfy our souls, we've elevated them into false gods. You might ask the question this morning, well, what's competing in my heart for God's glory? 
what is it that I'm chasing really hard after because I think it's going to scratch the itch? You know, we're always chasing lesser glories. The fact is, we need to see the one enthroned. I would just encourage you, it's not wasted time to take a few minutes and to just sit and just think about and prayerfully consider that God has not left his throne. And there he is. And to try to just think about the fact that he is beautiful. He is lovely. That he's everything we've ever wanted. And certainly everything we need. Well, we need to see God enthroned, but we also need to see what is going on around the throne. So it's not just that these other beings were there. There's more beings, and what were they doing? We'll pick it up in the middle of verse 6 here. So he's described God enthroned, the lightning, the thunder, the colors, all that, the sea of glass. But then he sees more. In in verse 6 in the middle, four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The seventh living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. This is consistent with uh, what we find described in Ezekiel about the angels that are surrounding the throne of God. And they're weird. Why all the eyes? Well, they have all those eyes to symbolize in the vision the fact that because God sees all, he then sends his servants and they see all. So they have an awareness of everything is the idea. Not in the sense that God is omnipotent, or excuse me, omniscient, but the fact is that they, they are uh, informed by God. So they have all these eyes, right? Uh, in verse 6, or excuse me, verse 8, we read on, Each of the four living creatures has six wings. That's consistent with what we read in Isaiah chapter 6 in his vision of the throne room of God. Or the angels there surrounding the throne singing, Holy, 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 have six wings, right? And why the lion? Why the, why the ox? Why the face like a man? Well, possibly these angels also represent all that God has created. Everything in creation. And what are they doing? Verse 8. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Maybe we've got ranks of angels here. Maybe we've got representation of Old Testament saints. Certainly we have angels that may represent all of creation. What are they all doing? They're worshiping God. They never stop. The refrain, holy, 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 you recognize that from Isaiah chapter 6? That's what he heard being sung in the presence of God? Indicating what? That God is apart from creation. He is different from us. He stands apart from us in all of his perfections. And Jesus says, you just need to think about this before you go to work tomorrow. (laughs) You just need to think about this in the middle of your family circumstance. You just need to to remember that God is enthroned, and there he is. And here are these angels representing all of creation. And what are they doing? They're singing, holy, holy, holy. Lord God, emphasizing his sovereignty over his creation, right? That's what Lord, that title Lord God does. The Almighty, no one can compete with his authority over creation. Now, sometimes people get this idea that like with Satan and God, it was like a 15-round epic. No, it wasn't even close. No one can compete with the Almighty. 
That was true before. He's the one who was. It's true right now. He's the one who is. And it will be true forever. He is the one who is to come. You know, as God gives us this vision of his throne room, he wants us to understand, I think very simply, that creation was made for worship. And that is still true no matter what we are going through. And in fact, it's probably especially important that we remind ourselves of this truth when we are going through difficult times. Again, that's the general context of Revelation, that the church is going to go through some turbulence. While we might focus on persecution in many of these passages, I think the truths still bear out even when it's just general suffering, general trials that we face, sickness, difficult circumstances because of living in a sinful community, right? In all of this, creation was made for worship. So every, all these angels are oriented towards God, focusing on him, not focused on panic, fear, anxiety, self, whatever else it might be. I mean, there are so many temptations for us as we think about what will I focus on today, right? What will I focus on? What matters most? And so our fears dominate our vision. What if? What if? But what if? But what if? Our disappointments might fill our vision. Oh, they let me down. They let me down. They failed me. They should have. They should have. They should have. They should have. Right? Or maybe it's our failures that fill our vision. It's not they should have. It's I should have. I should have. I should have. I've blown it. I've failed. I'm this. I'm that. Maybe it's our achievements that fill our vision. Look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I did. In the command and control center for the universe, there's no room for fear. There's no room for anxiety, for disappointment. Right? All fear is gone, like we were singing before. There's no room for pride and boasting in our accomplishment. What's going on in the, in the, in the throne room of heaven? It's worship of God Almighty. And there's no room for our fear in that room. And there's no room for our disappointment or our pride or, or our shame, right, in that room. Because there is God in his glory being exalted just like it should be. And Jesus gave this vision, vision to John. Why? Because we need to know this today. Because the fact of the matter is, on a daily basis, you will be distracted by your fears. The what-ifs. You will be distracted by the disappointments, the they-should-haves. You'll be distracted by your failures, the I-should-haves. And maybe even it's your achievements, that look at what I did, right? The, the, all those things will start to fill your vision. And Jesus knows we just need a, a little bit of a reminder there and, a, and like a reality check, right? Where we go, wait a minute, hold on. What matters most is not what I'm afraid of. It's not how they've disappointed me. It's not how I've blown it. And it's certainly not what I have done. What matters most is that God is holy, he is glorious, and he is reigning on his throne right now. Right now. Again, we, we read these passages, and sometimes they're, they're so esoteric, they're so transcendent, we have a hard time thinking, well, what, yeah, but tell me, what, what does it really, you know, how does it matter to me? And this is an immensely practical part of Scripture, where Jesus says, dear saint, you need to know, you need to know that God is enthroned. And that, yes, all creation was made for worship, including us. Watch verse 9. Whenever 
they did it day and night, by the way, just so we're clear. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Okay, don't miss it. Here's the throne, the center of the throne room. 24 thrones around the throne with these elders. I don't know for sure who these guys are, but they have crowns, authority, right? There they are. And what are the... So that, and then you've got the, the six living creatures, the angels there. You've got the seven, you know, uh, burning uh, 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 fires there representing the, the, the spirits of God. So here they all are, right? All oriented towards the throne. And when the angels are singing, which they do all the time, the elders in the vision, the elders get down off of their thrones and they bow down before the throne in the center. And they take their crowns, their authority, their, their rule, right? All the, everything that's good and powerful about them. And they take that and they throw it at the feet of the throne of God. And they, and they sing an additional worship response. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive Glory, that's value, worth, greatness, honor, right? Esteem, power, authority. Because you have created all things, and by your will, they currently exist and were created. So, okay, there's the throne. Okay, God's in the center of it all. But then, in addition to that, what does all creation do? Symbolized by these angels, and no doubt it's meant to include us as well. They respond to God in constant worship. Do they keep getting back up and throwing the crowns down? Throwing the, thr- uh, the crowns down? Don't be ridiculous. It's a vision, right? The, the point is this, though. All the time, they are oriented towards God in worship. All the time. The angels are doing it. The angels representing creation are doing it. What about us? And that's where this is going. John writes this all down, and as he sends it around, there is no doubt that he, because of Jesus' vision here, he wants us to ask the question, what about me? If the angels are worshiping, and all that power and authority that God had given them, they just give it right back. And if they represent saints, fine. They're the saints, you know, all the apostles, the prophets, and the tribal leaders, they're giving all the authority back, sure. If, if all, and the, 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 the living beings there with the six wings, they're doing it? Well, what about me? Do you believe that God is worthy to receive your glory? That is your love, what you value? Do you believe that he's worthy of that? That he is worthy to receive your honor for you to esteem him higher than anything else? Do you believe that he is worthy of your power? Meaning you are willing to give everything to him. The act of bowing down is an act of submission. The act of putting the thrones on the ground, or the, the crowns on the ground is an act of submission, right? Where they're saying, it's yours, Lord. It's yours. And here's John with the church going into some turbulence. And John says, this is what you need to know. God is enthroned. And all creation was made for worship. 
And frankly, brothers and sisters, worship is the only way forward. Because that's really the question. How am I going to get through and then fill in the blank, right? Isn't that where we live? How am I going to get through the, the economy? I can't find a house. There are no houses, right? And they're so expensive. There's no way. How am I going to get through that? Sickness. How am I going to get through the sickness? The diagnosis. How am I going to get through the political turmoil? How am I going to get through the conflict at work? How am I going to get through this situation in my family? Whatever it is, right? How am I going to get through? And John says, here's the deal. Know this. God is enthroned. He is glorious. And worship is the way forward. So the vision of Revelation does not promise the church an easy ride. He's not saying to the church, oh, don't worry, I'm going to rescue you out of that, and you're not going to have to go through the tough stuff. What's the point then? He's saying, you need to buckle up, kids, because it is going to get bumpy. And some of you will get put in prison, and some of you will lose your lives testifying to the goodness of Jesus and his glory. But in the meantime, how do you get from A to B? How How do you get out of bed? Well, it's worship. Worship is the way forward. The surrender and submission to God that's seen here, all glory, all honor, all authority is because he is worthy, because he's the creator. And the language there that's used at the end of verse 11, that that by your will they currently exist and were created, it's so good because he's saying not only were we all created for God's glory, but we currently exist for God's glory. It's that present component that's the take-home. Like, nobody's going to argue against God created everything for his glory. That's like, of course, it's theologically accurate. But so what? Well, so what means today, right now, we were created for God's glory. And all the circumstances that we're facing, we can honor him by worshiping in the midst of them. Again, I just can't, we can't run past this without hearing from my buddy Jonathan Edwards. I know you got this one memorized, but I'm just going to throw it out there. It's a short one. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> so. He said this, God's glory is in itself valuable in the highest degree. There is no greater glory. There's no greater cause. There's no better end. There's no like, oh, well, God's glory is there to accomplish something else. No, the the goodness and the greatness of God being on display for all of creation to see, that in and of itself is it. There is no higher cause. So everything else is subordinate to that end. Do you know most days we operate operate the opposite way? We operate as if we are the ultimate end, and God's glory exists to make me happy. And God's glory exists to make things easier for me. And God's glory exists to give me what I want. In the vision, I don't think the one sitting on the throne was wearing a red suit. Right? You'll get it later. God's glory is not a means to another end. His glory does not exist to make us happy. We are only happy when we are oriented towards his glory. Don't hear me wrong. God wants you to be happy. He does. He knows the only way you'll ever be happy is if you will follow the example of those elders on those thrones and you will get on your knees and you will give it all to him. That's it. If you're waiting around for God to give you what you want, you have a you-centered view of the universe. And in this vision, you're not the one on the throne. So there's a corrective here for us. Brothers and sisters, God does want us to be satisfied. 
He loves us so much that he's given us this vision to help us understand that the only way we'll be satisfied is with surrender and submission to him. Worship is the only way forward. We were made to wonder. We were made to to be captivated, but we were made to wonder at him. God's glory is ultimately what we are looking for. And when he isn't, that's when we struggle to overcome temptation. You'll remember from the seven letters to the seven churches, the big takeaway is overcome. Overcome. Be victorious. Over temptation. Say no to the temptation to compromise. Say no to the temptation to participate in false worship. Say no to the temptation to sin. Well, when we fail, what's happened? What's happened is we haven't focused on God and His goodness. Because when you're tempted with whatever it is, the lie of Satan is, this will make you happy. Look at that fruit. Mm. Wouldn't it taste good? You know, God's just kind of a cosmic killjoy. He just doesn't want you to be satisfied with that. He knows how good it tastes. So why doesn't he want you to have it? Right? And Satan whispers, did he really say? Did he really say that his glory was the high? No. No. He didn't really say that. He didn't really say that would actually harm you. To seek glory in something else. He didn't say that. Just eat it. It looks so good. Just eat it. Just do what you want to do. But focusing on God's glory is the only way we will see through that lie. And we can say to Satan, no, actually, his glory is better than me taking a bite of that fruit. His glory is what I was made for. We need wonder today. We need to wonder at the goodness and the greatness of God. So I like that the angels are constantly singing, and I like that the elders, whoever they are, are constantly bowing, day and night. Whenever that song was singing, holy, 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 then the elders were on their knees, and there it was, constantly going on. We may be exiled or executed. The angels are still singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We may be impoverished or imprisoned. The angels are still singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We may face discrimination or intimidation or persecution, but the angels right now are still singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. This hasn't changed, this scene. It is still going on right now. No matter what you're facing or no matter what I'm facing. So these things are always true. I'll give you four. These things are always true, no matter what you're going through. First of all, God is on his throne. God is on his throne. Second, God is holy and glorious. God is set apart from creation, and he is more beautiful than we can fathom. That never changes. Our perception of it might change. Our awareness of it might change, but it never changes. So God is holy and glorious. Third, God is being worshipped. Right now, he's being worshipped by angelic beings that we can't understand. We'll see in the future by, of course, the saints who have gone on before us as well. God is being worshipped. Fourth, God is sovereign. He is worthy of all the authority, and no one can take it from him. Have you ever heard the phrase, you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good? Yeah? You ever sling that at somebody? 
there's something to be said for that. I mean, as far as like, you know, all you do is read theology, you never actually live out your Christianity, that's a problem, right? So can we just acknowledge that? That's a problem. We weren't made to answer questions on a theology test. We were made to love God and love people, okay? Good theology informs sound living, so it's a misnomer, right? But nonetheless, okay. Uh, but actually, you can't be too heavenly-minded. We need, we need this vision of heaven. We need to be aware of what is true about God all the time, especially as we face difficult challenges. And I don't know what your challenge is for most of you. I don't know what the challenges you're facing right now or what you're going to face in the coming weeks, months, years. But I know this, this is always going to be true about God. And the way forward with whatever you're facing is worship, right? To submit ourselves to God's purposes, to be satisfied with his glory, When we are heavenly-minded, earth finally starts to make sense. I mean, just imagine it. An apostle, Jesus, why have you left me in exile on this island when I could be out preaching the gospel to other nations? Why am I stuck here with no one to minister to? John could have brought that beef to the Lord Jesus, and maybe he did. But worship was the way forward for John. And Jesus says, it's okay. I know you're on that island, but I'm still reigning. Will you worship me? And you might say, Lord, why have you given me this difficulty, this trial, this challenge? But when you say that, just know that there is an answer. God says, I'm at work. My glory is still the ultimate agenda item. And yes, you don't know all the details of how this plan is going to work out, but you do, know, you do need to know this that I'm worthy of your worship. Even today, in the midst of that sickness, in the midst of that financial challenge, whatever it is, emotional difficulty you're going through. Why do we fail so often to keep falling into temptation? Well, it's because a lot of times we treat the symptom, not the disease. Right? You ever do that? Just just take some Advil, muscle through, not actually deal with the issue, the root cause. What's the root cause of our sin? It's lesser glories. We're chasing lesser glories. That's just one way to say it, but it's true. And if you're struggling with continued failure and sin, and you're asking the question, why am I not making more progress? The question is not just to say, well, how can I stop doing what I'm not supposed to do? The question is, what should I actually be chasing, right? It's not just about not chasing lesser glories. Don't go visit the temple of Artemis. No, it's about chasing the one who actually is glorious. Worship is the way forward. And maybe that's why we don't do better in our battle against sin on a daily basis. And maybe you're here and you just confess, you know, the fact is, I am failing miserably at this. But you just need to know two things. One, it's Jesus who gives this vision. And two, he died for your sins and rose from the dead. And so, yes, you failed and I failed. But in Christ, we are provided forgiveness. And spoiler alert, okay, At the end of Revelation, what happens? It's not that we get to heaven. It's that heaven comes to earth. That's where we're headed. And so you might just ask the question, well, am I finding hope in Jesus this morning? Am I finding hope in what he has revealed about himself and about this universe? And if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ... I just want to encourage you this morning, forgiveness and grace is right here for you. It is right here available for you in Christ. 
But as long as we're going to chase other glories and stiff arm his love, we're going to continue to fail. Why wait, John says? Surrender today. You're like, Pastor Ryan, I don't have any crowns. Yeah, but you have an iPhone. Right? You've got something. Surrender today. Say it. My education, Lord, it's yours. Use it for your glory, this degree. My job, Lord, my career, it's yours, Lord. Use my job for your purposes. I want to glorify you in this, in this industry, whatever it is. And your family, Lord, my family belongs to you, Lord. Help me to put you first and, and glorify you with it. To do my best with these kids. But when they tell me they're going to move to Africa to be a missionary, to be okay with it. To be excited because it's yours, Lord. Lord, my money is yours. And I temporarily steward it to provide for my family and to advance the cause of the gospel. That's why I have it. Lord, thank you. But it's yours. I cast it back to you. My time is yours, Lord. I belong to you, all of me. Why would we live like this? Because it's what we were made for. Because worship is the only way forward. You know, honestly, sometimes we're just too easily satisfied by other things. And it's only short-term, but honestly, our, some, our standards are just too low. And my friend C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition and when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You need this vision. We need wonder. You need this vision. You need to see God in his glory. And you need to interpret your circumstances in light of these truths. Worship is the way forward for all of us. The question is, will we bow down? Would you pray with me and we'll ask God to help us respond with worship. Lord, as we think about this text, um, there's just so much going on here, Lord. And as we go through the details, we confess there's a lot we don't know, a lot we can't provide uh, clear answers on. But Lord, the the, the focus of the vision is so clear, and it's you, you enthroned. And God, we, we ask that you would help us to be captivated by you. And Lord, we repent of chasing lesser glories, trying to satisfy our souls with things that were not meant to do that, but really they were meant to point us to you. And Lord, as especially we, we may face frustration and disappointment and discouragement in difficult times, we pray that we would be comforted by this truth that you are enthroned. But Lord, we, we pray that your enthronement, your sovereignty, that that would lead to real change for us. That we would reevaluate our circumstances in light of this truth. That we would pursue you in worship that we would be oriented towards you. And Lord, when we're tempted to focus on all those things we're tempted to focus on, and when we're tempted to chase a false god, Lord, we ask that you would help us to see clearly through that scheme, see the lies that we have believed, the lies that we may be creating, Lord, and that we would, we would return to the truth. Lord, I, I pray for those this morning especially who are facing difficult times right now. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that the answer is not necessarily to change the circumstances, but to change us. And that we would worship you right now. and Submit to you right now. So help us, Lord. We cannot do this apart from your spirit. So we ask for your help. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.